Thank you for listening to Teaching Artistry with Courtney J. Body. This is episode 46, Act 1, Tina La Padula, Warrior Work, recorded September 23rd, 2021. Screaming about irrevocability Let's burn some bridges, earn some stitches And fight our own way free Cause the rules don't lie but they don't apply to people like you and me Let's start it up now 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 Now they say it's all decided, all divided, all laid out and the pushcart man with a three-part plan can't understand what you're shouting about. But when the past they plow, the lives aloud are the only roads you can see. Just remember who walls were built to fall for old people like you and me. Let's start it up now. 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 Hey, hey, TA audience. Welcome to Teaching Artistry Podcast. This podcast is researched, recorded, and produced on the unceded lands, water, and air, stewarded by the Canarsie and Muncie Lenape peoples in what is currently known as Brooklyn, New York. Thanks for listening, and thanks for being a part of our global community. Invite your peeps, colleagues, and friends to join our community and subscribe on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, and now we're on Spotify. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And head over to teachingrstreet.org to check out the new, more user-friendly look to access all the episodes, guest bios, video series, and of course, merch. I said this last time, but I'm going to say it again, that the pod squad is in deep reflective mode, and we would like to better learn about how the podcast impacts you, our audience. And um, we also are interested in figuring out ways to continue to move, shift, and grow our podcast. So without you, this would just be me talking and we know how that goes. So let's hear your voice and help shape the future of teaching artistry. You can send us a direct message on social media, uh, again, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, with your email address, and that will indicate that you're interested and we will send you the five to seven minute, or a link to the five to seven minute survey. Or you can email us at info at teachingartistry.org, and again, we'll send you the survey directly. Um, Just to note that we will not share your information with any third parties, and we really appreciate you as always listening and for sharing your thoughts. All right. So about a year ago, I think almost to the day, I made a choice to be in more control of my life and embark and had embarked on a health journey. And uh, I mean that in multiple senses of the term. Um, my, at that time, my focus very much was being in more control about what I was putting into my body and being more physically active. 
Um, so at that point, I, I, uh, one of my colleagues had also, uh, embarked on a journey earlier in the year and was, was telling me about it. And I sort of said, let's go, let's do this. Um, I knew that, um, after having watched my mom have many health issues over the course of her lifetime, that I was kind of starting to head down that same path. And I knew that if I didn't do something, uh, um, soon, uh, I, I don't know if there would have been a way to turn it around. So I, I jumped in feet first and um, had a, a lot of support along the way. And since then, I have shed 80 pounds um, and, in a, and in I am in a more healthy place. Um, so that particular program is a food program. It's a nutritional program that has food, um, as part of the program, um, where you eat several times a day, six times, in fact, um, small meals and, um, and I eat low, uh, uh, or lean protein, protein and, um, low carbohydrate vegetables uh, until I reach my optimal weight, which I still have a ways to go for, for that. So, um, that was the first step was to learn, um, better or more healthy habits to, of eating. And then I also really wanted to get more, be more mindful and more intentional about being physical. And for me, the thing that um, helps me to maintain that and, and to grow that habit is swimming. I talk, I've talked about swimming a lot on here and that's because it's like, it's almost like a, uh, a spiritual journey on its own that feeds into all these other aspects physically, of course, and mentally, definitely. Um, and so my original goal was to, um, uh, go build a habit of going swimming at least once a week. So I joined a gym, um, and I definitely did my best to, to do that. Um, at this point I'm at a day, I'm counting days 47, I think. And, um, I've had to hit, hit pause for a second just because my life kind of blew up when I decided that I was going to move. So I've been working on, on, on that and hard to, hard to do two things, two major things at the same time. So, but I'm going to be able to pick that back up right after I move, um, because I miss it so much, but also because, um, uh, at 47, that means I only have like five more to hit 52, which technically would be as if I had gone once a week. (laughs) And so maybe, maybe I'll hit that goal by the end of the, the calendar year, um, or, um, surpass it. And that would be amazing. And really the, the ultimate goal is to the fact that like the fact that I miss it is the thing that is, is very encouraging to me because I, I will get back to it. It's like not even a question in my brain. Um, so that's what I mean about like understanding what helps me to feel like I am at my best. I've also along the way been able to learn tools to support my mental health, which swimming is definitely a part of that, but having other sort of tools and to deeper, uh, connect with myself, with others, um, and engage in, in some, some challenging personal excavation work, which I dare say is a lifetime, uh, project. And so, yeah, not only am I in a reflective mode with the pod squad, but also, uh, a reflective mode for myself. I'm in a reflective mode for this year mark. And I just wanted to share that with you. Um, and I'm eager to see how the journey continues to uh, evolve and unfold over time. All right. So, you know, there are those people who you just admire from afar. You see them and you're like, wow, that person, wow. 
Um, so I'm most definitely a fan girl of Tina Lapadula. Um, Tina is a badass, like period. And then she's a badass catalyst for change. And I'm here for it. Um, more, more recently, though, I've been able to step a little bit closer into her orbit and have had the pleasure of getting to know her. And the more I learn about her, the more my admiration grows. Um, so you know what? Let's just get into it. So I'm excited for you to hear episode 46, act one, Tina Lapadula, Warrior Work. Hello, Tina. Hello, Miss Courtney. Welcome. Uh, welcome to Teaching Artistry. This is a podcast that celebrates artists, culture, and equity. I cannot begin to tell you how excited I am to learn more about your journey. Um, I've been a fangirl from afar for a long time, and now I'm getting a little closer. Inching my way closer and closer. <laughs> so yeah, I want to hear, um, hear all about your journey in arts, social justice, education, etc. But I also really... I really love starting with like your kid, like who you were as a kid and learning, you know, just more about all, all of that, who we were that got us to where we are. You know what I mean? Okay, great. My goodness. I'm so excited. Ooh. Yo. <laughs> um, but first let's just start with how are you? How are your loved ones? Oh, nice of you to ask. Well, it's been quite a year. Ms. Courtney, um, you know, it's hard. It's a hard, it's a, it's hard. Um, it's hard on top of a year of hard, right? And really challenging. I feel really lucky. I mean, my parents are well, my immediate family is well. Um, this transition back to school is really hard. Um, I have a 16 year old, you know, it's a junior in high school. Um, watching him sort of like go back into in-person, which he has wanted to do, but it's also like emotionally exhausting. Um, it's, it's, it's hard. We're all emotionally exhausted. Um, but overall, uh, very grateful, very fortunate, doing better than many. Yeah, I feel like we, um, we, I talked to a lot of people, I asked a lot of people this question, and I was just thinking about the mental health piece of all of this, that we, we, many of us have the basics and that can be more than others. And we, under, and we can acknowledge that, but I don't, I feel like we, we start to counter, counterbalance in a way. Is that right? Maybe not counterbalance, but I just don't want to, I don't want to underweight the mental exhaustion, the emotional exhaustion that is very, very present in, in a lot of our lives at this moment. I, I heard, and this feels really present in almost every conversation I'm in with like friends, colleagues, you know, um, that like everybody needs more than they have the energy to give right now, right? So nobody's needs are getting met. And it's been like a really long time of not having our needs met completely, right? Like we're all like making do. Um, and managing that as well as we can yeah we're in survival mode right and that that can look a lot of different ways and be to different degrees but we're in survival mode and that means that we're not thriving and we're not able to live <clears throat> as abundantly as we often hope and there are external things that are going on and 
you know, interconnectedness around all of that, I, I think. <sighs> yes. Yes. Well, I, I appreciate us like taking, taking that, you know what I mean? Usually, I don't know. I could, I'm very good at like making light of things. So I'm trying, I'm, I'm fighting that inside of me. So I, I appreciate like, let's just bring that into the space. Thank you. Thanks mm-hmm. for being real. Yeah. You know, I mean, we're all showing up. We're all doing our best. Uh, might be a little janky, uh, a little raw. Um, that's also some of our superpowers, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I heard I heard a quote by somebody. I don't know their name, so I'm not going to get that right. But something I listened to either today or yesterday about somebody saying, you know, people, I'm supposed to talk to you about being resilient despite these hardships, but I'm just scared and I'm lost. And that is my, like saying that and writing that is my superpower. So, yeah. I totally paraphrased that, by the way. Yeah, yeah, no, that's good though. And it feels really, you know, really relevant. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, so would you consider yourself an artist? Gah, my whole life I've like struggled with that word and that I like that concept. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, I want to say yeah, but I have always felt a little conflicted about it. I mean, I went to school for theater, you know, um, and I've made plenty of theater and that was traditionally my thing as an artist um over time i feel like i've poured more of my creative energy into forming creative communities um, and supporting those creative communities and that maybe that is my artistry and and it still feels weird to say, or like, I'm still processing that, I guess, or still reckoning mm. with what that really means. But I do think that that's true about me. Would you have um, some sort of terminology for it that you're tossing about in your brain spaces? Yeah, you know, I don't know. I, I think that like, I, I've, I've pulled my theater skills into other areas, right? Um, and I use those same kinds of ideas that are really about sort of improvising well, um, yes, anding sort of uh, the, the big ideas that are afloat, um, c- casting well, um, listening well, and sort of creating enough of a, a structure and a space to make something new together. Um, which in a lot of ways, I think, are sort of director skills, um, theater skills, and um, sort of contemporary performance <laughs> skills. Um, yeah, it's, I think, I, I, for a long time, I was like, oh, I'm a master of all trades, or, you know, jack of all trades, master of none, like they always say. And now that I'm like, an older person, I feel like, oh, I see all the ways that like, the the connections like my theater degree my art history kind of background my communications um work my 
the way I care about like how things are designed, mm. um, like how, how all of those things uh, work together and it's actually an asset, <laughs> you know? As you were talking, I was, I was, I was, I like to title things. This is how I, this is how I roll. <laughs> like, I sometimes I title like, like, you know, CJ and Depool, like that's a thing. So you know what that is. And then there's a lot of stuff that comes underneath it. So as you were talking, at first I, I was going with creative curator. And then I was like, Ooh, but maybe that's too like arty. Um, like visual arts museum and then I was like and then I started to go into like community curator but then I was like no that's too much like heavy handed puppets right like yeah. pulling the strings but then I was thinking yeah. like like because you said design and then I saw weaving like pulling different skill sets threads um you know, recognizing strengths in others and how they fit into a puzzle. So then I start, I'm starting to think like architect or engineer. Yeah. Oh, the creative engineering. I don't know. <laughs> I, I think, do you think of myself as like kind of a creative catalyst or like a, That's nice. a connector? Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, a, a bridge between and a translator, a creative translator sometimes between mm -hmm. Like, oh, y'all are thinking about the sim a similar thing that these people are thinking about. Um, what is the big idea that links those together? Like, how can you stand in solidarity or do work in solidarity together? Or, oh, you think that's a new idea, but like there's 50 people over here also doing that and they've been doing it for 50 years, like maybe also align with them. Mm. Um, and then like in service of what? is a big mm -hmm. question I'm constantly mm -hmm. like and, and like to what end like how are how is this like who is this helping like why are we doing this um what's the bigger what's the what's the bigger goal what's the north star and like how can we feed as many people or like as many birds with that seed mm. Ooh, yeah I don't have a title anymore I'm just listening I like it I yeah, know. it's like I'm I, seeing, I, I try I'm to like, think macro and see. micro at the same time, like just enough yeah, yeah. structure that's like feels organic, that there's like flexibility, that mm. you know we can go with the emergent ideas of like who's in the room, um, but still you know in service to the things that need getting done. Like I also really like being that like practical voice in the room is like yeah great yeah inside of all of that i'm i'm seeing like response responsiveness connect like you said connecting and like like f like forging and um what's this like like uh with brackets what is it what do you call that reinforcing you know like you're putting resources and materials and people together to not necessarily always work together, but to, like you said, work in solidarity so that there's a greater purpose. So the micro and the macro, which is I think very challenging for one person to be able to see both, you know, sides of that spectrum. I see it as a sieve, but I'm not a sieve, like a, like a vessel, um, but it could be a spectrum. Fascinating. Oh, I can't wait to dig into some more, more of that or see evidence of that in, in some of the storytelling that you tell. Um, okay. So, do tell us where where do you currently work? What's your role? 
what, what do you do in this in this in this life right now uh, in, in this life right now i guess i do so many things but my main main gig is um mm-hmm. i'm the arts education project manager at the seattle office of arts and culture um and i feel really fortunate to be there it's an mm-hmm. awesome job and i worked with an awesome team uh in local government doing arts education what what transparent moment i saw you a month ago in seattle i like swept in you gave me like a fun tourist like here's let's go to pike place let's go to this let's go see this um and we had salmon and that was delicious or I had salmon. Um, yeah, you did. And then I got back on the ferry and left. <laughs> um, and I, I've been to Seattle once. Oh, now I guess twice. Now I've, been, now I've been there twice. And I know a lot of people who either have worked there, grew up there, currently live there and work there. Um, there's a lot of love in the world for Seattle. Um, so tell me more about the, yeah, about the, the government structure under which you work and like the actual work that you do. The Office of Arts and Culture is an amazing, maybe like 44 person, uh, crew of folks doing a, a wide array of amazingness in the city. Um, our offices are on the top floor of King Street Station, which is where like Amtrak comes in on the bottom floor and our offices are on the top. Um, it's an amazing place to work. Half of that space is an amazing gallery space. Um, you know, we oversee public art and uh, um, cultural partnerships in the community and um, lots of different funding opportunities and um, we have a mighty, mighty youth arts crew um, that includes me and some of my colleagues. Um, a lot of my work um, is in support of school days, arts education supports. And um, I oversee a thing called the Creative Advantage, which is really providing public funding support for um, equitable arts education access um, in Seattle public schools, which is balls. <laughs> Maze balls. Did you grow up in that area? No, I did not. Um, did my family's from the Bronx, actually, and uh, mm. an amazing little uh, Italian American neighborhood. Uh, both my parents are first generation Italian. Um, and then, really, I grew up in Allentown, Pennsylvania, the majority of my life. Um, the amazing Allentown, PA, where I'm the youngest of four uh, in a very working class family. Um, you know, I think that uh, I was that kid who, um, if they had the term ADD at the time, they would have t- said that that was me. Like I was very, uh, really kinetic mover, physical kid, um, visual, I am a visual learner. Um, I have always been sort of an improver storyteller, even though like I didn't have that language for that at the time. And somebody got really like a family friend was like, she's fine. I think maybe just put her in a dance class or something. And my parents were like, oh, oh, okay. And and I went to the Y a lot, you know, like for Mm -hmm. classes at the Y. And that really saved my bacon as a kid. Um, I was that like went from, you know, elementary school to the Y after school and took lots of different art classes there. Um, I feel lucky for that. 
so yeah, I moved to the East Coast like after college and uh, I really, I mean, to the West Coast from the East yeah. Coast after college. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know, I moved with a guy, like we didn't know anybody. It was 1990. Seattle was, picture Seattle in 1990. Oh, I remember. I remember yeah. singles. It was, sing it, was, it was like that. Yeah, singles, Nirvana. I mean, come on. Yeah. And Seattle became, was for me what I had hoped it would be, like a place to start some new stuff for sure in a way that New York didn't feel like I could do at that time. So where did you go to college? I went to Muhlenberg, Muhlenberg College in Allentown, PA. And uh, I did this amazing study abroad program uh, at the University of London with the Royal Academy of Dramatic Art, which was amazing. Ooh. Um, and I learned, you know, I studied theater and I studied art history. Um, and I did all of these really cool little side projects where I was like using theater in communities, um, like using theater to explore like and support young people who've been like sexually assaulted or using theater in community spaces, kind of in a theater of the oppressed kind of way to like explore different um, themes and issues that were going on and I realized like that was a, a big part of what I I really was into more than like okay. other things more than what more than auditioning for stuff and doing mm -hmm. those things which I did plenty of too for a while but I was like yeah this doesn't feel good to me the theater I really love I you know there's a there's a in if you if you go if you're in the grad and higher ed world there's, um, I think there's programs in London, but uh, or in, in the UK as well called Applied Theater, and um, you know I went I went for a very you know a particular trajectory mainly because I didn't know that there were other kinds of potential pathways, so I'm just curious like how you know you said that I felt like this was more aligned with what I wanted, but how did you know like and how did you get involved with doing that kind of work? I there were a lot of visiting artists who would come in college to do project-based work that were around a theme or an idea or a community need. And I signed up for everyone. I was like, oh, I want to, like, that sounds really interesting. There's this guy coming from Poland and he's going to do this thing and like exploring, you know, like food scarcity and like the ideas of, about food. Or there's this person over here who's doing this thing about like sexual um, assault and like ways to support young people um, to talk about their experiences um, with like, you know, harassment. And um, I was like, that sounds interesting. And so I just like, I took uh, advantage of every opportunity to see how different really project managers or directors, right? were doing these different projects and um, like what felt good about those. Like, this is all in retrospect. I'm thinking about that. Like, right. I saw, mm -hmm. you know, ways that people either collaborated well or like brought together, you know, or did good community engagement that felt like authentic and real. And um, people felt like they had a stake in the outcome of what you were creating together. Mm -hmm. um, that really rubbed off on me. Um, and I was really hungry for, for seeing all those different perspectives uh, and learning through doing that way. Mm -hmm. um, learning that like just what, 
the simplest structures that were required to get people then to like build community and make a thing together. And, and did you, so from that, that those kinds of experiences while you were in college, and then you said that you moved to Seattle shortly after you graduated. So what, where, where did you go next and how did you apply what you had learned in, in terms of applied theater or this like, I, I don't even know what the name, the, is there a name for the work that you're talking about? I don't know. I don't, mm -hmm. I think it might be that, but it, I think it's bigger than just theater because it's like sort yeah. of using those theater ideas, like, uh, in, like in sort of justice work. Right. I was going to, I was going to say like community based, but I, I like that better. Yeah. And so I think when I moved to Seattle, I began working as a teaching artist. Um, I didn't, that wasn't a term at the time. It's interesting to think about that. Um, and I was like doing theater work, you know, going out for auditions and doing like stage work and some film work. And um, I was on some Bill Nye the Science guys. I, yeah, you, you are. Know, I was doing all sorts of like, random stuff that theater people do. At the same time, I was teaching groups of kids like in Georgetown, which were like homeless or formerly homeless young people mm -hmm. um, in like outdoor camps in the summer and like other after-school programs. I was also working with like um, fairly like, you know, well-off young people on Queen Anne at this like learning center that had like a very good reputation for like the pedagogy it used around sort of like engaging young people to create things together and learn through the arts. So I saw like all of these different worlds and how those things were working. And it was actually through that teaching artistry work. It was through meeting other teaching artists um, and like people who cared about sort of the intersection of like arts education and like greater good with regard to like act arts education or like other ideas like using arts to explore and make social change um that actually arts core was born oh yes oh do tell well uh arts core was born because uh i was working at the time with my friend lauren atkinson at hilltop children's center i was working in other settings teaching and a group of teaching artists started to come together and talk about like, well, wouldn't it be great if like we worked for an organization, uh, if there was some place who valued what teaching artists bring and do, if um, we got paid a, a decent wage, if we could contribute to like the culture of that organization and like really making decisions about like what kinds of priorities are made and how we do the work and what that work like. And if it could be long-term, if it could be like out of school with more curricular freedom, so maybe in school, mm -hmm. infecting goodness in school. Um, and we just started meeting and talking about this thing, um, like the, like just big ideas about like combining as teaching artists and we were introduced to Lisa Fitzhugh, who was the founding executive director, who at the time was just like, had just, you know, been working for the mayor, interesting, of Seattle mm -hmm. on task forces for like capital campaigns of spaces and realized like, oh, there's money for buildings like community centers, but there's no money for, for 
you know, programming those spaces. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Like, so there's all these, there's like a beautiful dance studio at Garfield Community, you know, uh, uh, center, but there's no programming money there. So like, who could go teach there? Who, who could go teach who? there? We were like, well, we, will go, we will go and teach there. And we will be in every neighborhood and we will like build this thing. Mm. And Arts Corps was born. So you were there from, you were a part of build. I didn't, I don't think I understood that. Yeah. I'm one of the founding mm. members of Arts Corps. And I've been there, I was there for 15 years helping build and direct and program in community. So then it, I took all of those same ideas around like, okay, then how do collectives of people with similar goals and hopes and dreams, but very different experiences, art forms, uh, ideologies come together? And what does that look like in a nonprofit? What does that look like in, in, at Arts Corps? Um, and that became really my creative work, you know, teaching and sort of experimenting in this group of amazing people uh, with how to do our best work, right? And how to like support each other and how to support students and families um, through that work. Amazing. I know. And so what, uh, you, I'm sorry, what role did you have? You, you said it, but- well, I started as a teaching artist and then quickly kind of became the faculty manager, which became sort of like the education director. Uh, I was a program director for a really long time. And then I co-directed it for a really long time with my buddy, Larry Davis. Mm -hmm. uh, Larry and I, you know, kind of co-directed for many years. We worked together for like a decade. Um, and then she really like took on more of the pro program directing work. And I was doing sort of special projects and other stuff. So like my, my job title morphed and changed a lot over 15 mm -hmm. years, but mm -hmm. yeah. But always wow. sort of contributing, and, and steering. To after school time, artists are are part of the the culture creating or making the culture less so than like it being a what can be known as like the administrators and the <laughs> the teaching artists being separate like a set two separate entities. Everybody was sort of very well integrated. Yeah, yeah. I think at its best that was happening. And I think that it's always been sort of part of it is to like the teaching artists are the driving force behind Arts Corps, like that mm -hmm. they are the superpower. It started after school and then later it became also like the, a, a school day programming as well. Right. Yep. And what um, what made you leave after 15 years or, or move uh, forward or on? Yeah. I mean, I think I did some of like my best work there. Um, Arts Corps for me was like, it was like working in a collaborative with people to try to like define what it meant to be teaching artists. Like, like Eric Booth invited me early on to like the first journal for the teaching artist journal to talk mm. about like what is a teaching artist and I was like I don't know I think it's this like that was the first time like nationally we were using that language right right um it also was a place where I could like work together with others like we were trying to like evaluate what really high quality arts education looked like right 
Um, and we, we began thinking about like, well, there's like the across discipline and across age and across setting, there are like these kind of these nine things we keep seeing. Like we would just go out and observe each other's classrooms. Mm-hmm. And we came up with these things called our, like our core learning goals. And then Harvard chose us as like a study site. And they were like, arts core is looking at these things. That is what high quality learning is. And we were like, what? Wait, were you part of the qualities of quality report? What? I know. That's, That's awesome. awesome. I love that you know. Oh, no, we we have been using that for a very long time. And we we at the New Victory um, years ago, actually, it was Russell who introduced them to us. Now Russell's our president. And uh, to us, meaning the collective, uh, the, the Teaching Arts Ensemble there. And um yeah, still talks like still to this day talk like actually on that podcast that I was talking about talks about it. <laughs> For me, I didn't go to graduate school, right? So it was like I feel like everything I learned, I was like it was like I learned by doing and I learned from other teaching artists with other teaching artists mm-hmm. um about te- my teaching, mm-hmm. you know? And it felt like, you know, Steve Seidel comes out from Harvard and, he, and he's like, okay, talk to me about why you do this work. And we're like meeting in groups of teaching artists talking about like, this is what I'm seeing. Is that what you're seeing? This is what I'm feeling. Is that what you're feeling? Like, yes. And so it was this like stamp of approval on like, on, on our, the pedagogy we had like adopted that we were trying to live as authentically as we could and like giving each other feedback on that in real time. Like I'm noticing this, I'm seeing this and it overlaps, you know, racial justice work too, because out of that grew sort of like how we talked about creative habits and helped pioneer nationally and in Seattle, like how you could be evaluating not just art skills, but like higher level thinking skills, which is still present in how we talk about the power of arts education. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and we developed really amazing frameworks for looking at you know, social justice in our work and how like the best teaching and the best art making happens at the intersection of like creativity, you know, love and justice. And like, what does that look like? Like, are you doing the personal work it requires before you walk into a classroom? Mm. Are you building community? And what does it take to build community with different groups of kids, you know, at all these different sites? Um, Are you working out? Like, how are you gonna resolve conflict together? What are you leaving behind? Is it liberatory? Are you leaving them tools to continue to be artists and make change in community? Like, are you thought, are you going through all of these steps every time? Um, and that was life-changing because it was work that for the first time I, you know, was doing in multiracial spaces, multicultural spaces, and really thinking about like with our colleagues, like what feels real and true for you, what feels real and true for me, like as a white woman doing this work in communities what feels you know can we all have a baseline of practice that incorporates interrupting oppression and liberatory practices and really high quality isn't that what's required for like creativity to happen the baseline i like that like 
it sounds elevated, but it's like, that's, no, that's the baseline. <laughs> that's like, here's Maslow's hierarchy, which is actually apparently like ripped off of native thinking. Um, yeah. Right. Uh, but what is, what's, what, what is that foundational level of like safety, right? In quotes. Yeah. I dare say that um, I don't know. I don't know for sure if Denny was a part of or worked on that. Um, but I know she did work with Steve Seidel and in Harvard research for a long time. So I don't, was she a part of it? Yeah, I think she was there. She was at Project Zero at the time. I think that's how, like, maybe originally met Denny. And then they mm. ended up doing other evaluation work with us too. And I know they've worked right. a lot with your group. Yeah, we, yeah. We just released something. We started working with them in 2000. 13 I believe and so we've had two two research studies one that just recently was released um, I'm looking at it when you were talking I was like "Ooh, I wonder like, what you're talking about like how much of what we were studying of what you're talking about is like baked into what we're what we were looking at because we, we were specifically looking at the intrinsic impacts of of um, creativity and seeing live performance um, for third through eighth graders and what that meant. Um, and we came up with like four major things. Lot, we, we have lots of information, but um, in this particular report, um, four yeah. major things. But the, the interesting thing right now is over the last, we have a, we have a set of, of what we call, of like core values that we call pillars and it has been predicated on a particular model that the new victories had for a very long time. And we're really expanding that model. And so, and, you know, really trying to bring in more or create more space for in more intentional social justice, anti-racism, racial justice work inside of that, which is, is um, it's a, it's a, it's a shift there's no doubt there's a, it's a shift. Um, it's a good one. It's an unnecessary one. And some of the questions that you're asking or you're, you're expressing here, we asked, but it, I think it was under that, that other model that was always surrounded around live theater going and something that we have firmly discovered after the last 18 months. And in the analysis of this is that, you know, yes, live performance is one entry point for performing arts engagement it's not the only one and it's not the like pinnacle so that from that learning and obviously the report is, is explaining something that we collected a while ago and the programming has continued so that's been evolving and anyway just the kind of conversations that you're sharing that you've had or you had had over the the time that you worked at arts core uh, i hear echoes of that having had 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 those conversations with our teaching artists and definitely in this particular moment where we are doing super deep work and trying to activate the work at the same time we're trying not to just talk about it but actually try try something and go back and reevaluate it and refine it and keep moving forward in ways that actually create big chunks of change um because last i feel like the last year especially so there's 18 months but the last year or this last season was just a lot of conversation <laughs> and you know we were trying things out but there the the chunks of change were more like chips 
<laughs> we're going for a chocolate metaphor. <laughs> yeah. Um, I find this really, really cool, like really, really cool. Um, and I'm, I'm eager to learn more about like some of the processes under which you had those conversations. Like the, what, what were some of the structures for, you know, coming up with those nine, whatever the number, sorry, nine's not the number, but the, whatever the number of like, sorry, core learning goals. Um, and how, how did you, even after the report, the study came out, like how did they keep getting refined over time? The original process for thinking about like, like how do we evaluate across discipline, across age range, all of these things, right? Um, we actually, at the time, hired uh, a woman, Janice Fournier, who's awesome. They teach at the University of Washington to help with sort of evaluation work. Um, and we polled our teaching artists and we started asking them like, out of these things, like, what are you prioritizing? Out of these things, what do you see most in your students? Out of these things, what what do you fall back on? Or like, what do you like prioritize, right? And we kept whittling down to this list. And then we would have these amazing sort of like sessions with our teaching artists to talk about like, what, is, what does this look like? What does improvisation look like in a theater class versus music class versus a visual art class? What does um, critical thinking look like here, here and here? Like what, what, what do you, what evidence are you seeing? Like, and what, what, how do you have to like prep that or talk about it in your class to make sure that it's happening? It's not just like a byproduct. Like, how do you get intentional about that? And then it was like, well, how can we really evaluate all of these things? And then it was like, oh, well, can we evaluate five? You know, like, like, like what's doable? And then at the same, around the same time, we were really introduced to like, sort of like that creative habits of mind sort of, you know, body of work where really they were looking at like the habits of mind research around like what really competent, successful adults have, what proclivities and those things are like really expansive. It's like, you have a really good sense of humor. You can collaborate well, you um, respond to the world with wonderment and awe. I mean, can we just evaluate that shit right there? Like, you know, yeah. like the wonderment quotient. Mm -hmm. um, but they were saying that like, and that was all research that was done with adults. So it's like, well, what, what, what we know we can do in the arts, like that overlaps what we're seeing here. And we just started picking things that like, let's prep, let's try these. Let's all try teaching to those. And then that got integrated mm -hmm. into our professional developments we would do with right. our faculty, right? It's like what is let's just try to share activities and strategies that you're using um master level teachers help out you know newer teachers and teaching artists with that um go out and observe yeah. give each other feedback on that what are your students saying like we were just like in these like evaluation and assessment loops but it was really like real-time classroom assessment and it really refined our work, you know, hugely. Um, and it affected obviously the students we were working with, but the teachers we were working with and the school cultures mm -hmm. where we were teaching as well. Um, 
because the teachers could be part of that like mm -hmm. loop of you know revision and learning and excitement um it was awesome Thank you for listening to episode 46, Act 1 of Teaching Artistry with Courtney J. Body, Tina LaPadula, Warrior Work. Join us next time for Act 2. This podcast is edited and produced by Ben Weber. Christopher Totten is the director of creative content. Jonna Waldman wrote and performed the theme song. Tim Palin designed the logo. Visit us at www.teachingartistry.org and head to the pod shop at the top of the page for merch. Twitter us at TA underscore artistry. The gram at Teaching Artistry with CJB. And now on YouTube, check out the Teaching Artistry with Courtney J. Body channel and watch We Can't Go Back. Like our page on Facebook, listen to us on SoundCloud and Spotify, subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts, and be sure to share this podcast with all the teaching artists in your life. Let's start it up now. Let's start it up now.